Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Totally Driven Entertainment Radio Network. In the future, none of you are heroes. You're legends. Get driven. Stay driven. Today we're going to be dipping into a little bit uh, more uh, heated, potentially, and more controversial material, perhaps, than we've covered in previous segments. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, what many would consider to be a time-honored tradition, uh, perhaps not in the best of ways, but nonetheless, a tradition that's been carried on across many cultures uh, for many centuries and that is the practice of exorcism. So let's get started right off the bat. I want to get started with how do we define exorcism? What is an exorcism? Let's get started. So an exorcism, uh, far be it uh, from me giving you guys some definition, you know, because I love definitions. Um, So we'll go right into it. An exorcism is a binding oath or ritual that is designed to expel demons or spirits or some malevolent entity from a person's body or life. Uh, it is an attempt to cut uh, the spiritual ties between an individual uh, and any, any malevolent entity that is believed to be uh, harming them or terrorizing them in any way. So that is important to note that while exorcisms have been, for the most part, associated predominantly with uh, Christianity and Judaism, uh, exorcisms have been practiced all across the world, largely in part due to the belief in demons in the first place. Um, important to note that nearly... Nearly every religion in the world has has its demons, has its has its divine figures, and this really is probably the biggest contributing factor to the practice of exorcism. So we'll get well eventually one one of these days when I get my technology to cooperate. Um, mainly what we what we get when we when we look into exorcism oftentimes uh, we need first before we can have an exorcism and this is one of the most important aspects of this topic is we have to determine uh, what is the definition of demonic possession Uh, we have to determine how we can tell if someone is possessed now Across most cultures, it is believed that people are acting in an erratic manner, uh, possessing uh, little control uh, and and being, you know, really out of control, seemingly out of their wits and acting in extreme, with extreme behaviors uh, such as yelling, uh, self-harming, cursing, 
uh, speaking in what appears to be different languages, um, becoming violent or erratic uh, or apparent for no apparent reason. These are all considered to be reasons uh, or symptoms, I should say, of demonic possession across the world. Uh, now, where we're most often, most often, again, our associations with exorcisms begin with Christianity. Uh, and this is not, uh, this should not be surprising uh, because exorcisms are, are you know, prevalent uh, within the Bible. They take place within the Bible. Uh, and so it's not surprising uh, that we see demonic possession being closely associated with Christianity because there is a belief within Christianity that one can become possessed by demons. But um, if we look at, at exorcism within the practice of Christianity, uh, the Christian pra- the, in the Christian practice, the person performing the exorcism is often known as an exorcist and is often a member of the or an individual thought to be graced uh, with special powers or skills granted to them by God. Uh, This person may use prayers and religious materials such as formulas, gestures, symbols, icons, and amulets such as crucifixes, um, holy water, and the like, the whole shebang. Uh, The exorcist tends to invoke God, Jesus, and or several different angels, saints, and or archangels to intervene with the exorcism. Um, Now... Depending on what denomination you are, there is a belief that only priests uh, who have reached high levels within the church can conduct an exorcism successfully uh, within certain uh, branches of the church, such as Mormonism and and, and a few other branches of Christianity. uh, It is believed that any Christian can expel a demon, uh, which, you know, take that uh, for what you will. Uh, Many Christians believe uh, that the authority is given to them by the Holy Trinity, which is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For those of you unfamiliar with the Trinity, uh, is the source of their ability to cast out demons. And in general, people considered to be possessed are not regarded as evil in themselves, although you couldn't tell based on Hollywood portrayals of films, because uh, in nearly every Hollywood portrayal of films, we have to, um, we, we get the famous lines, uh, we have to exercise, we have to say, this is no longer about their physical well-being. It's all about saving their soul. Uh, you know, we, we see that movies such as The Exorcist, such as The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Uh, in The Conjuring, it, we, we see the individual who is quote-unquote possessed hurling themselves around the room, injuring others, injuring themselves. Uh, and people, of course, uh, related to that person or tied to that person begin to express their trepidation there, their concern that perhaps, you know, we need to seek other, you know, avenues. And then we always have the priest, always have the individual there who's performing the exorcism say something along those lines, that it's no longer about the person's physical well-being. That's less important than their soul. We don't want them to go to hell. Demons will drag your soul to hell, that old chestnut. Uh, So in general, though, people are not considered, people possessed are considered not necessarily considered to be evil in and of themselves or wholly responsible for their actions because possession is considered, at least within the Christian context, to be an unwilling manipulation by a demon resulting in self-harm uh, or, to harm, for, or harm to others. Uh, therefore, practitioners regard exorcism as more of a cure than punishment. Of course, within the Catholic Church, um, specifically Catholic Christianity, um, 
exorcisms are performed in the name of Christ. Uh, a distinction is made between a formal exorcism, which can only be conducted by a priest during a baptism or with the permission of a bishop, and prayers of deliverance, uh, which can be said by anyone. So uh, one one key uh, aspect that we should keep in mind is that exorcisms, at least in the context of the Catholic Church, are not just something we hurl out willy-nilly. These are considered to be uh, extreme cases. Uh, there are certain proofs asked for by the Church on on exorcism. Uh, the Catholic right for a formal exorcism, called a major exorcism, uh, is given in section 11 of the ritual Renamum, uh, Romanamum. Uh, the ritual lists guidelines for conducting an exorcism and determining when an exorcism is required. They are instructed to carefully determine that the nature of the affliction is not actually a psychological or physical illness before proceeding, although uh, as I continue forward, it's likely that you guys are going to see that sometimes uh, physical illnesses and psychological illnesses can be a little bit difficult to diagnose, particularly for people who are not medically trained, which in this case, uh, many of these priests would probably not be, most likely not. Uh, the practice, the person performing the exorcism, uh, in the Catholic practice, of course, the person performing the exorcism is also known as an exorcist and is an ordained priest. Uh, they, re they recite prayers according to the rubrics of the rite and may make use of religious materials such as crosses and sacraments. Uh, the Exorcists, of course, will invoke God, specifically the name of Christ, as well as members of the Church Triumphant and Archangel Michael. For those of you that are not initiated into what the Church Triumphant are, we are, discuss we are referring to the saints. Uh, so the names of saints would be invoked during a Catholic exorcism. Uh, now, according to the Catholic understanding, uh, several weekly or exorcisms over many years are sometimes required to expel a deeply entrenched demon. So there are levels of how deep a demon is able to go uh, within this context. Uh, now, in general, per possessed persons are not regarded, again, as evil in and of themselves, nor wholly responsible uh, for their actions. Uh, therefore, practitioners regard exorcism as a cure uh, rather than a punishment. Again, uh, there is no violence that is to be uh, perpetuated against the person involved in the exorcism, only that they be tied down if deemed necessary for their own protection and the protection of the practitioners. Uh, something to note that exorcisms, of course, take place uh, not only in Christianity, uh, but with also within uh, religions such as Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, Taoism, uh, and even Buddhism uh, to some degree. So how then is how then is demonic possession and exorcism identified in these uh, particular religions? Uh, and just a quick side note for those of you uh, curious about the idea of possession. Um, is it always a bad thing? Uh, within religions, possession is also looked upon as different as well. Um, if you look at the religion uh, and another particularly old religion, the, pra the practice voodoo, uh, which is sort of a, an amalgamation of many different uh, sort of West Indian and, and Afro uh, religious ideas that have kind of all been pushed together with a little bit of smatterings of uh, things that they picked up from Christianity and other religions along the way. Um, possession within the context of voodoo is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it is actually seen as a welcoming of a spiritual connection with somebody from the other side. In many cases, uh, possession is looked at uh, in this particular religion as a, a positive. Uh, one can gain otherworldly guidance. Uh, one can grow closer to those that have gone on before them. Uh, and so 
possession in the context of voodoo is actually welcomed rather than rejected uh, in the case of Christianity and, and some of the religions that we're, we're talking about today. So uh, important note to note that um, you know, possession, spiritual possession of, of, of that nature is not always uh, looked down upon as a bad thing. Uh, and so that in mind as we, as we journey forward. Now, uh, within Hinduism, uh, there are beliefs and practices pertaining to the practice of uh, exorcism that are prominently connected with Hindus. Uh, of the four Vedas, which are the holy books of the Hindus, uh, the Atharva Veda is said to contain the secrets related to exorcism, uh, magic, and alchemy. Uh, the basic means of exorcism are the Bantra and the Yajna, uh, which are used in both the Vedic and Tantric traditions. Uh, the Vaishnava traditions also employ a recitation of the name of names of Narasimha and reading scriptures, notably the Bhagavad Purana, aloud. Uh, now, according to Gita Mahatmya of Pada Purana, uh, reading the third, seventh, and ninth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita and mentally offering the result to the departed to departed persons helps uh, them get released from their ghostly situation, playing of mantras, keeping scriptures, and holy pictures of deities, in the house, burning incense offered during prayer, sprinkling water from holy rivers, blowing tantas used in, in worship services, and also uh, praying to the Lord Hanuman uh, gives the best result uh, in exorcisms. It's believed that just uttering the, the name of Lord Hanuman makes the evil forces uh, and demons within a person tremble of fear. Now, uh, within Hinduism, uh, you know, there are many different spirits, many different gods, many different um, beliefs about possession. Um, and so it's important to note that they, they view it as a little bit differently. Uh, they don't necessarily view the entire situation as being completely evil, um, but they do believe that it's harmful the person involved, uh, and a lot more rare uh, in their in their in the religious context of Hinduism to see people perform exorcisms than it is uh, in in these other contexts that we've covered before, at least in the in the realm of the Catholic Church and Christianity. Uh, exorcisms sort of taken not really that uh, not really something that's practiced all that often uh, within this religious. Uh, within this religious ideology. Then we move uh, to Islam, of course, which I mentioned. Uh, in Islam, ex exorcisms are called rukya, uh, and this is used to repair the damage caused by uh, black magic. Uh, exorcisms today in, in Islam are part of a wider body of contemporary uh, Islamic alternative medicine called al-tib al-nabawa, which is uh, medicine of the prophet. Um, Islamic exorcisms consist of the treated person uh, essentially being uh, told to lay down while a sheikh places uh, their hand on a patient's head while reciting verses from the Quran. Uh, this, however, is not mandatory. Uh, the drinking or sprinkling of holy water uh, for the, from the Zamzan well, which for those of you who don't know, is it's considered to be a particularly holy place. People pilgrim, take pilgrimages there all the time. Uh, so it's considered to be some, some very holy water. Uh, may also take place along with the applying of, non, of, of clean non-alcohol-based perfumes. Um, specific verses from the Quran are recited which glorify God. Um, 
the Ayatol Kursi is one uh, such verse, which is often referred to as the throne verse. Uh, they invoke God's help, and in uh, some cases, the Adhan, or call for daily prayers, is also read as this has the effect of repelling non-angelic scene beings or the jinn, which in the case of Islam is essentially their uh, go-to for demons, the jinn. It's also, by the way, those of you not familiar with jinn, that is also the source of the word genie. Uh, so a little extra tidbit there for those of you listening in, fascinated by such things. Go take the time to go look that up. You might be pleasantly surprised by what you find. Uh, and of course, Judaism, which predates both Christianity and Islam, practice, uh, exorcism. Uh, the exorcist, the, the Jewish exorcism ritual is performed by a rabbi who has mastered practical uh, Allah also is present. Uh, also present is a minyan, which is a group of ten adult males who gather in a circle around the possessed person, and they recite Psalm 91 three times. Uh, the rabbi then blows a shofar, which is a ram's horn, uh, and this is blown in a certain way with various notes and tones in an effect to shatter the body, quote unquote, so that the possessing force will be shaken loose. Uh, the shofar has been a very popularly used item. Uh, a very popularly used tool. Uh, some some have said that it is uh, the most terrifying sound that a demon can hear. Uh, I just found the sound of a shofar to be rather obnoxious. Uh, that's just me personally. I've actually heard one blown and seen one. It's just a horn carved from a ram's uh, horn, basically. Uh, exorcisms, again, are practiced in Taoism as well. Uh, they're performed because an individual has been possessed by an evil spirit for one of two reasons. The individual has disturbed a ghost regardless of their intent, and the ghost now seeks revenge. An alive person could also be jealous and would use black magic as revenge, thereby conjuring a ghost to possess someone. Uh, members of the Fashi uh, and both Chinese ritual officers and priests ordered ordained by a celestial master perform Chinese rituals, in particular exorcism. Now, historically, Taoist exorcisms include chanting, physical movements, and praying as a way to drive away the spirit. Rituals such as these occur during festivals uh, and are considered of low order during these festivals. They are more for entertainment than a necessity during festivals. And, and interesting to note that uh, within Taoism, exorcism is actually seen as a uh, dramatic performance to call out the demons so the village can once again have peace. Uh, it's seen as a ritualistic form of entertainment. Now, uh, moving forward, just a teeny bit here. As we have talked a little bit, given a little bit of uh, context now for what an exorcism is, uh, what groups in them, their kind of perception of what a possession looks like, what does it look like to be possessed. Um, so what then is the real, true purpose of an exorcism? What then can we point to as being the reasoning behind doing an exorcism? Well, from a religious standpoint, to be possessed, to be out of control of one's own free will, out of control of one's own body and actions, uh, it can be potentially problematic because if one cannot make one, if you cannot make your own decisions, you have no agency. If you have no agency, then you can't worship the deity that those of your religion worship. In the case of Christianity, we'll go with, uh, you know, God. In the case of Islam, we'll go with Allah. Uh, Judaism, of course, you know, we'll go with um, We'll go with Yeshua, God, whatever. Um, you can you can see where this is a problem. 
can move into exorcism, there has to be the belief in demons. Uh, the belief that demons exist and can possess people is, of course, uh, the major claim behind supporting exorcism. Uh, many religions claim that many of these religions we've talked about claim that humans can be possessed by demonic spirits, uh, and they offer re- exorcism specifically to remedy this threat. Uh, the idea that invading spirits are inherently evil uh, is largely uh, the, is largely a sort of more Judeo or Christian concept. Uh, as many religions and belief systems accept possession by both benef- beneficent and malevolent mele- uh, entities for short periods of time as uncommon and not especially alarming aspects of spiritual life. Uh, again, I mentioned voodoo as a prime example of where possession is not necessarily a bad thing. And if you look at some of the more uh, spiritual uh, list sort of ideas, ideologies, we look at things that are more uh, grounded in toward, towards uh, nature, a lot of people are attempting to get closer to spirits, get closer to uh, the spirits of their ancestors. You take, for example, uh, religions such as uh, some of the more neo-pagan religions in which people are actually attempting to invoke uh, old gods by name. Many, many of these rituals that they practice would be seen as you know, horrific within the context of, of Christianity or Judaism or even Islam uh, because uh, the idea that you want to call a spirit uh, you know, to guide and, and inspire you is sort of disturbing to them. Whereas it's not so disturbing to a person who believes that there are benefits uh, to, you know, possession. Now, again, you know, new, more, you know, new agers, people that are practicing more neo-pagan religions have also uh, long embraced a form of possession called channeling in which the spirits of the dead are said to inhabit a medium's body and communicate through them. Hundreds of books and even some symphonies have allegedly been composed by spirits. Uh, So why then? So we've got this mix on why, you know, possession could be a good or a bad thing. You know, some people people are saying, oh, well, possession is not a bad thing because one can seek inspiration uh, from the divine, right? Uh, We also have multiple cases within uh, the Christian religion which people are, are saying that they wish to have a spirit enter their body. And what spirit is that? But spirit of Christ. Uh, we've, we've heard uh, we've heard many times within hymns uh, terms such as Enter me, O Lord, and and may your hand be upon me. Uh, Let the spirit of the Lord enter you. And yet this this way of viewing things, this this same religion that is saying, oh, you don't want, uh, you know, these same religions that are saying, oh, you don't want uh, spirits to enter your body. That would be bad. Because then you lose your, you you lose your, uh, your agency. You lose your ability to, to worship, you lose your ability. You, you know, your your soul is now under siege. You're under threat uh, from being overtaken by these evil forces, and you've got to be 
you've got to be vigilant and you've got to form these exorcisms to protect yourself against against the against being possessed and against losing the power over yourself. Yet this same uh, this same way of viewing things has not been applied uh, to the entrance of saints or spirits that are perceived to be holy entering the person's body. So something to keep in mind that even within Christianity and Judaism, uh, possession itself is not always a bad thing. Uh, it just depends on who is possessing you. Uh, now, we look at this this concept of exorcism. Some people don't, you know, some people think it's, oh, this is nonsensical, uh, and you're welcome to think that. I personally am not going to completely discount uh, this because people do believe it. Uh, but what are what are some of the uh, consequences? Um, what are some of the consequences we see with exorcisms? What is the what is the result, the goal of an exorcism uh, from a spiritual standpoint? Now uh, we've looked at we've, we've kind of talked a little bit about Christianity's uh, views on exorcism. We've talked a little bit about other religious uh, views on exorcism, such as Taoism. Uh, views on possession, such as voodoo. Um, we, we looked a little bit about uh, looked a little bit about Islam and Hinduism. Uh, so all these all these cultures are practicing exorcism. All these cultures are dealing with spiritual possession. But what is the end goal uh, for exorcism in these cases? The end goal for an exorcism is to expel the spirit and to break a spiritual connection. That is the end goal. For an exorcism, the end goal for an exorcism is to cut connection that has been built between a person and what and the spirit that is quote unquote possessed them. By severing this tie, the person is supposed to be free uh, of the influence of the spirit that was terrorizing them uh, and is quote unquote healed, able to go about their life and their their daily life without without fear. Of suffering, excuse me, from symptoms of of of, the, of the possession. Now, one of the major issues uh, that people have with exorcism, particularly people of the scientific community, is that demonic possession is not seen as a psychiatric or medical diagnosis that is recognized by the DSM-5 or the ICD-10. If you're not familiar with what those two terms mean, the DSM-5 is the Diagnostic and Statistical Man- Manual of Mental Disorders, uh, which is and this and the five stands for the fifth edition. Uh, this is uh, a more recent update of the American Psychiatric Association's uh, classification and diagnostic tool. This serves as a authority for psychiatric diagnoses. This is how uh, this is a manual for psychologists and psychiatrists that allows them to recognize the symptoms of mental disorders and diagnose them uh, properly. Uh, And then, of course, it's also not recognized by the ICD. Uh, For those of you not familiar with the ICD, uh, it is the International Classification of Diseases. Uh, It's a standard diagnostic tool for epidemiology, health management, and clinical purpose. It's full, uh, the official name of it is the International Statistical Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems. Uh, and demonic possession is not covered uh, within this. Uh, and it's the World Health Organization who publishes this manual uh, with my, annually minor, with minor updates and triannual major uh, updates. So 
um, the most recent update has actually been pushed back for for the time being. But this these two medical journals do not recognize uh, they don't recognize demonic possession as a as a psychiatric or me- medical diagnosis. They do, however, recognize the symptoms of demonic possession as being ascribed to symptoms associated with physical or mental illnesses. Uh, now, some of these illnesses that are oftentimes, oftentimes misdiagnosed happen to be hysteria, mania, psychoses, Tourette syndrome, epilepsy, schizophrenia, or disassociative identity disorder. Uh, some of these are quite serious. Um, so one of the major issues with with exorcism uh, is that it's when you go, when you have a health problem, you go to the doctor, right? If the doctor, if, if you have, for example, cancer, you don't have the doc, and you go to the doctor, and he says, "Just take these chewable uh, Flintstone vitamins, stone vitamins, and we'll see if that fixes you." And they, you have another patient patient come in, and they give him chemotherapy, and he gets all the you know medical treatment that he needs to treat his cancer. He's probably going to come out of it better than you are. You're probably not going to live. Why? Because you got misdiagnosed. Now, this is, of course, an extreme case. This is an extreme example. But if we look at exorcism uh, from a logical standpoint, uh, it's often the, the issue of, of exorcism is often a mental, mental thing, right? Exorcism is, gives you what we call the placebo effect. Uh, and the power of suggestion uh, is key within an exorcism. The illusion that exorcisms work on people Experiencing symptoms of possession is attributed mainly to the placebo effect. The placebo effect is that I tell you this is going to work. This is going to fix your problems. And you put your faith in me, and because you put your faith in me and you trust me, you believe it, and your mind tells you that you're fixed. That doesn't necessarily mean that the problem goes away. Now, there have been studies done on the placebo effect, and in some cases, placebos uh, do lead to the re- do lead to people. Important to note that it does lead to people, uh, oftentimes improving to a degree. But in many cases, it doesn't mean just because you improved, because you believed you improved, and you're improving, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be permanent damage from from what you may be suffering from. And it also doesn't mean that the problem goes away completely. The problem can be still there, can be an underlying symptom. Your attitude towards it may have changed, but it doesn't mean you're not sick. You could still be sick. Uh, so uh, the pro- one major issue with exorcism is that oftentimes the symptoms of demonic possession mirror these very, some of these potentially very serious uh, disorders and illnesses. Um, you know, things such as, you know, maybe Tourette, you know, Tourette syndrome uh, perhaps might not be as serious. It, it is a very serious disorder. But take epilepsy, for example. Epilepsy is extremely serious. That's a very serious disorder that a person can have. Uh, a person who is prone to seizures uh, and, and can, be, can, can fall into fits in which they could 
you know, potentially strangle uh, themselves. They could, they could, uh, they could fall into unconsciousness. They could hurt themselves uh, and and suffer brain damage as a consequence of that. Uh, this that is very serious, and to have that misdiagnosis, demonic possession, uh, can be can be very harmful to a person. Uh, so one of the things that that is a problem with with this view of exorcisms and demonic possession is that it creates a stigma of mental illness. Uh, for for a very long time throughout the throughout the centuries, particularly in the Middle Ages, uh, many people who had mental illnesses or physical disorders were thought to be suffering from demonic possession. Uh, they went through these grueling processes of exorcism uh, that did more trauma than they did good. In many cases, it ended in people's deaths. It ended in people becoming worse off than they really uh, were before when they had these disorders. And it was all as a result of people uh, misidentifying what they were suffering from. Now, granted, at that time, people didn't know about things such as hysteria and, and Tourette syndrome and epilepsy and schizophrenia or disassociative identity disorder. These are later developments. These are advances in medical science that have allowed us uh, to identify these, identify these disorders that our ancestors didn't have access to. However, there are still people who believe that the symptoms that people suffer from, from these disorders, are the result of demonic possession. They are, they are symptoms of demonic possession to many people, and this is a potentially harmful, harmful thought. Mainly, because not only would, are we running the risk of misdiagnosing what a person is suffering from, but if we mistreat a person, this can cause severe complications for that person. This can do a great deal of harm to individuals. This, does, this also creates a stigma of mental illnesses. Uh, exorcism and the practice of exorcism can create a stigma of people for, on people that are suffering from these mental disorders because we're less likely to say, well, this person just needs medicine. They just need help and more likely to demonize that person as, as demonically possessed uh, or, you know, crazy rather than just simply treating the problem. So this is one of the major reasons that we, we need to uh, reevaluate our, our views on, on things such as demonic possession and exorcisms because, again, there is significant danger in misdiagnosing a person and giving them the wrong treatment. Uh, you know, so, and again, I mentioned in the example of the Catholic Church that there is process. But if you don't have the medical training and wherewithal to know that a person might be suffering from a disassociative identity disorder or epilepsy, uh, you, and you say, well, I mean, you know, I went in there, they were, you know, hollering and cursing and, and spitting and, uh, you know, thrashing around on their bed, uh, seemed like demonic possession to me. Uh, that literally could mirror almost any of these of the disorders we've already talked about. Uh, there's also a form of monomania uh, called demonomania or de- demonopathy, in which the person uh, in question uh, who's suffering from this disorder is in the full firm belief that they themselves are possessed by one or more demons. Uh, and again, this is another scenario in which we have you know, potentially some form of personality disorder in which a person uh, is acting out. Uh, And again, the other major issue with this is not only that there are underlying health issues that have been disguised, uh, that have gone under the guise of quote-unquote demonic possession, there's also, and so this, you know, puts a stigma on those who have uh, some some of these problems, some of these very real health issues that people suffer from, 
this does not encourage them to come forward and actually get their problem treated. In fact, it, it makes them, you know, uh, try to stay hidden. Uh, and even worse than that is these people that are suffering from these disorders who actually need help, who are now going to be afraid to come forward due to the fact that they might be misdiagnosed as being quote unquote demonically possessed, they're going to become potentially dangerous to the people around them because they're not being properly diagnosed and they're not being properly treated. And that is a real problem for those of us around them, particularly those of them who suffer from things such as mania and psychosis or disassociative identity disorders who can frame uh, themselves as not relating to the people around them. This is potentially very dangerous uh, to to us uh, and the, you know to the general public. Uh, so there are numerous there are numerous cases uh, in which people have performed exorcisms uh, throughout history. Uh, and in some of these cases, people have died uh, as a result. But in not not all of the cases, um, but some of them have. Uh, and th- these are in various parts of the world. Uh, and I won't uh, I won't get too far into them, uh, but I will give you guys some source material to go look at. I don't want to get into every single every single one of the exorcisms that is listed because that's quite a bit. But let's talk a little bit about these films. And we'll we'll try to stick to some of the more recent ones. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about some of these films involving exorcism. Right off the top of my head, let's talk a little bit about the film Constantine. Those of you unfamiliar, Constantine is based on the DC Vertigo comic Hellblazer. Uh, It's a movie that came out in 2005, right, starring Keanu Reeves. Uh, and he plays a gun-toting exorcist at war with the devil. Um, Keanu Reeves's character all that doesn't really put all that much faith or stock into in, into God or religion. He's sort of just a gun-toting spiritual vigilante. Kind of just does you know takes care of demon takes out demons just because he feels like it. But here's the real rub. Within Constantine, the opening of the film Constantine, we are given a young woman who is in a mental ward who is believed to be tormented by demons and is clearly suffering from some mental disorder. Otherwise, she wouldn't be in a mental ward being, you know, taken care of and medically, uh, you know, and wouldn't be medicated. We see a young woman who is having what appears to be an incredibly lucid dream, walking uh, in an inferno, which is, you know, representative of her, you know, being sucked into hell. And then ostensibly shortly after she kills herself, we get little subtle hints from there, from the investigators. And of course her sister is the cop in the movie and she is investigating the, you know, the quote unquote, untimely death, murder, slash, you know, suicide of her sister. Uh, And she's immediately, her sister is immediately derided as being crazy. Uh, And, you know, but then the flip side is that she's possessed. She's being hounded. She's being chased by these spirits. And she was misdiagnosed by the medical community. They missed it. They messed up, see? 
and that's why she died. He sends a few terrible mixed messages in that one one major message that it says is that you can't trust you can't trust your doctors because the doctors will get it wrong. Uh, in the case of Constantine, you know we see the consequences of of uh, and I believe it's uh, Rachel Weiss I think that's in the film if I remember correctly. Yeah, so we see the consequences of Rachel Rachel Weiss. Uh, her sister, her sister in the film, you know, she she uh, dies by a suicide of her twin sister, Isabel, also portrayed by Rachel, portrayed by Rachel Weisz, uh, but Isabel is placed into the care of the of the hospital. And seemingly, quote-unquote, abandoned by the church. But really what happened was she was suffering from a mental disorder. She's placed in the care of the hospital. And her inability to break from this idea that she was being haunted and hunted and, and accept the medication and accept the help led to her untimely death. But that's not the story we get in Constantine. The story we get in Constantine is that the medical community failed her and that the church was her life and she loved the church. And if the church had just been there for her the whole time all the way around and she had just been allowed to, you know, be around the church, then she would have been fine because they would have been able to fix the problem. And, you know, there's this general pushback against science. Uh, within certain parts of within certain religious communities that they that that religion has to have has to have some monopoly on knowledge that there can't be uh, a coexistence of the two uh, and that's been a problem we've seen for for a very very long time uh, but in this particular case within within the context of exorcisms it's something that is definitely something that we we really need to reevaluate and keep a close eye on. Um, that's not the only one. Uh, you know, exorcisms have been commonly portrayed in True Blood. They've been uh, commonly portrayed in the the uh, the Smash Mouth hit films Paranormal Activity. Uh, you know, within within the Paranormal Activities within the Paranormal Activity uh, films, we have another uh, really um, dangerous portrayal of this we now meant this is keep in mind this is meant to entertain right paranormal activity the film constantine both were meant to entertain us but we can see the problem but we can still see the portrayal of these of these events the portrayal of you know demonic possession spiritual possession and exorcism in these films and they're always such a violent process they're an extremely invasive, violent process. People die as a result. Uh, you know, there are innocent bystanders who are "quote unquote" killed uh, as a result of, demo- of the demonic possession of one person within the film who loses control of their, you know, faculties and kills everybody else. Uh, we see this in in films such as, uh, well, not you know, the f- films such as The Possession, very recent film. Uh, we see it in other, you know, the exorcism of Emily Rose. People get hurled around uh, the, the television series Supernatural. 
the film Dybbuk, Stigmata. I mean, there's a lot, there's a plethora of films that have dealt, films and shows that have dealt uh, with exorcism. There's, you know, the, we even had the last exorcism, uh, Exorcismus, The Right. Uh, you know, these are more recent films, Season of the Witch, The Possession, The Conjuring. So there is a lot of films dedicated to exorcism. Exorcism has become a huge moneymaker for the film industry. The idea of demonic possession has made a killing in the horror genre. Pun intended there, definitely. I mean, ter- terrible as it may be, had to throw a pun in there. It's just made a killing in the box office. You know, the paranormal activity uh the paranormal activity films and it, I am not, I'm going to be honest. I'm not a fan. Uh, I'm not a fan of the, uh, of this, this sort of, this sort of film. Um, not because of the events in the film, but because uh, I think, I think they're cheddar. Uh, I think they're really uh, lazy uh, in terms of uh, building suspense, but that's just my personal opinion. Um I can appreciate it. But, I mean, let's just take a look uh, specifically at the money, at the money these films made. Uh, So we have, with Paranormal Activity, we had six films. Uh, And in these six, you know, the initial film, the the initial uh, Paranormal Activity, of course, came out in 2007. Um, It made over $100 million dollars. Just in America alone, uh, worldwide, it grossed up almost two hundred million dollars, and it only cost them fifteen thousand dollars to make the film. Uh, you know, just essentially having a shaky camera and having a girl scream bloody murder in the middle of the night because she's being terrorized by demons. Uh, throw some flour next to the bed and have a little have a little cat walk through it, and uh, boom, you got yourself a you know two hundred million dollar movie. Uh, but look at all the money that they made. People went to go see this. Hundreds of millions of dollars, nearly 193 million, you know, 355,800 dollars worldwide. That is a lot of money. Okay, eight. You know, the second one still made 85. You know, still made 84 million in the United States. Almost made 180 million worldwide. The third one made 104 million here in the United States. 207 worldwide. You know. You can see where this is going. Millions and millions of dollars. Uh, I believe whole wholesale gross all the way around, all six together, uh, roughly $890 million worldwide made. So what's that tell us? If if we have six films based on, on exorcisms and demonic possessions, and you combine all six films together, and keep in mind these films uh, range from the year 2007 to 2015, so... Uh, you know, we, there's little gaps in between them, but I mean, uh, just last year, just last year, we had one of these films, uh, and you know, or just just the year before last, I should say, 2015, we had one of these films. And despite the fact that you know five other movies had already come out prior to that, uh, it still it still make made you know 78 million dollars on its own. Um, this shows us that. People identify with exorcism. They identify with the anxiety of a demonic possession. They identify with this. 
people identify with the plight of the character because uh, there is this there is this uneasy feeling of losing control of oneself, right? This is the most terrifying thing about demonic possession that is told to us, that you lose control of yourself. You're somebody different now. Somebody else is inhabiting you. Somebody else is making you do things. You don't have control, um, and you're, you're now a danger. This, this, though, the thing that I would say about this that is particularly uh, dangerous, again, we return to this idea that we're going to misdiagnose, uh, you know, actual mental illnesses that people are dealing with. Uh, oftentimes, again, when we look at this, these symptoms of demonic possession, these symptoms, uh, just writing them off as demonic possession uh, is harmful. It's dangerous because, uh, you know, the symptoms oftentimes that, ex- that we see are underlying symptoms of more serious issues at work. Um, but, I mean, we've become an incredibly desensitized to this idea of exorcisms. And additionally, again, we look at the entertainment aspect of exorcisms. It, it's impossible uh, to, to understate how much money these films are making. Uh, exorcism and the, the concept of, of demonic possession is, it creates such a tension, creates such an anxiety for people uh, that they can't get enough of these films. They just, people can't. Uh, now, of course, you know, I'm not saying that everybody is a big fan of these films, but if a film makes $107 million, uh, clearly they're doing something right. So what exactly is it that these films are tapping into? What is it that films like The Conjuring are tapping into? It's who, it's who they're grabbing in these films. It's who uh, the it's it's the who and the where of the film. So we look at the film, for example, we look at movies such as The Conjuring. We look at movies such as The Amityville Horror. Why were these movies so successful? And they were very successful. Why were they successful? Is it because they were talking about demonic possession? Is it because they're talking about exorcisms? I think it's more because of how they were able to tap into the very real anxiety that people have about possession. You see, earlier films, such as the original Exorcist, which I personally believe is one of the greatest uh, horror films, and really just one of the greatest films ever made cinematically. Uh, But if you look at the way that The Conjuring is done, the way that movies such as The Amityville Horror is done, they build a real tension. In both scenarios, we have a family moving to a new house. Uh, they're in a new area. They know anybody. They're, so this already isolates them. This creates a real tension, a tension that exists for a person who is already possessed, right? Because if a person is quote-unquote possessed or suffering from a mental disorder, they are isolated from everybody else or may feel isolated from everybody else. This isolation is now relatable in film. We fear this isolation. People are afraid to be alone. And, and this very real isolation sets up a tension that they continue to carry through these films uh, within The Conjuring and within film, the film uh, The Amityville Horror. Both scenarios, we have a parent. Uh, it's, you know, in many films, uh, prior films, it's, it's always been a child or uh, it's always been, you know, a young girl 
that's struggling with this. But in these two films, they hit you from a very different uh, they they hit your anxiety from a di- very different perspective. Those who were supposed to be protecting us, those who were supposed to be preserving us, our parents are the ones who are now being targeted by demons in these films. And this creates a very real tension, a very real fear, because one of the things uh, that it, it allows to be relatable is abuse. Uh, it allows people to re- people that have been abused. Uh, by their parents, people that have been in situations where they had bad relationships with their parents. This highlights a real anxiety. This demonic possession that we have in these films is filling in for a different, uh, can can be seen as filling in for a different scenario. Rather than an actual possession, uh, we can see uh, the erratic behavior of, of the father in the Amityville Horror, the erratic behavior of the mother uh, in the film, uh, the in in this film, The Conjuring. You look at The Conjuring. Uh, everything's fine when they first get to the house, right? Everything's good. Um, then it starts with night terrors. It starts with uh, the mother being incredibly sick. Oh, we we seem to have somebody calling in here. Hello. Yes, hello. Yeah, you've reached the Bearback Facts. What's going on? How are we doing? Good. I was just listening to your show, and I was wondering if you could give me some advice on something. Uh, sure, I can, I can do my best. Go ahead. Well, the other day I was just sitting, and I felt this this sensation in my like my gut, and I've been feeling it for weeks and weeks lately. And the other day I went into the – I finally – just couldn't take it anymore, and I I went to the bathroom and I shit out a demon. Well, you know, it sounds to me like you might not have had anything better to do, so you decided to tune into my show and call in and embarrass yourself. No, I need no, I need help with this. It's in, it's still in the. I can't flush it. Can't flush it. Uh, it sounds to me like what you should probably do is okay. reevaluate your life choices. Do you think that's how I got the stomach demon? Well, what I think is called the wrong station. Oh, uh, do you, you think there's a, the can you give station. me help? All right. Uh, sorry for that interruption, folks. Apparently, uh, we had ourselves a little jokester on the line, uh, but that's okay. So let's let's get back into it. We look at the uh, tension that exists within the film The Conjuring, right? This attacks us from a different perspective, uh, and I really wanted to tackle this aspect uh, of the film. Okay, this this aspect of the anxiety that's built within The Conjuring is that the mother becomes the possessed. Now, throughout the film, of course, you get the, the jump scares, you get the the tension that builds, but there is a, a very real tension that exists between the mother and the children. And the father uh, is rather distant from the entire scenario. The entire film is more focused on the children and the mother, right? Uh, they are seen as the more vulnerable figures within the film. This hits us at, a, at our core, right? This hits us at a very vulnerable position uh, because we've always sort of psychologically, we, we see women as, you know, to a degree, and I'm not saying this is true, 
But in many cases, psychologically, in films in particular, we see women as the weaker uh, individual, right, the more vulnerable individual. And then, of course, children, of course, are the most vulnerable, the most in need of our protection. Uh, so we have, we have uh, our, our mother, Carolyn, uh, who moves in to this house with her husband and their, their, their daughters, uh, very, very, you know, very quickly, the movie, uh, the mother is the one that is sort of hysterical throughout much of the film. And then she, of course, ends up being the one who is so, uh, so disturbed, so distraught over everything that's happening that she becomes the one that's susceptible to the possession. She becomes the possessed. And, of course, as the story unfolds, we find out that the previous occupant of the house was an individual who drowned her own kids uh, or who sacrificed her own baby to the devil and then killed herself after cursing everybody who would take her land. So we get this, uh, we get the age-old curse uh, scenario. But what's more important here is the fact that the woman, that the individual who inhabited their house before, uh, you know, sort of turned her back on motherhood, right, creating a very, uh, a very real psychological trauma that can exist for a person who may have felt issues of abandonment, right? Who may have felt issues of, who, who may have, this might evoke feelings from, from a person who has felt uh, issues of abandonment, who does have this unfortunate, you know, relationship with one's parent where they didn't feel like somebody was there for them. Uh, so demonic possession oftentimes, so this is just another key example of how uh, demonic possession is used in film, not only as entertainment, but also to highlight a very real tension that can exist within a family, right? Um, you know, throughout the film, we see a distance growing between the mother and her children, uh, between uh, the father uh, and the and the children, uh, the father and the, and the wife. Uh, so these films do a very good job. And again, this is another film. Uh, this is another recent film, 2013. Uh, it's another film that did very well. I mean, it grossed uh, over 300, uh, grossed over $300 million worldwide. Um, so uh, it did, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that makes it one of the highest grossing of all time. So it did a very good job uh, of, of highlighting a lot of that tension. And again, that is one of the major major things with demonic possession that we tackle, right? Uh, one of the major things with demonic possession in general that we can look at and see as being uh, one of the major reasons why uh, people are so fearful of possession, right? Because it creates a scenario in which not only we're not in control anymore, but also... Uh, the fear of what happens when we're not in control. Uh, possession highlights this fear. The anxiety of demonic possession, uh, the anxiety of, of losing one's own agency and losing control is a fear that many of us can, can relate to. Many of us fear losing control of our lives, losing control of things, uh, losing control of our emotions. Uh, so this is a very real tension that is, very well highlighted in these films. And that is one of the major reasons why exorcisms and demonic possession have been such a hit uh, in the film industry. It's not necessarily because, you know, demons are scary or exorcisms are just cool to watch. Uh, you know, these are not the real reasons why these two subjects have been so successful in film. 
it's because of the very real tension that exists, the very real anxiety that exists in relation to these two things. Uh, the fact that one would have to call for an exorcist to fix their problem suggests that you're not in control of yourself and you're not able to fix your own problem. This means that the power over your life is no longer in your hands, right? You have to rely on somebody else to deliver you. Uh, this, and the, I guess the same could be said uh, to a degree about religion, right? You can't rely on yourself to really get get you to where you need to go in many cases. From a religious standpoint, this, uh, you know, exorcism might be seen as, you know, the more, you know, putting your trust in, in the deity in question. But when you look at exorcisms, uh, for, or when you look at demonic possession and the anxiety that goes with that, it's really all about losing not only control of yourself, but the very real possibility uh, that you could hurt yourself or others and have no way of knowing that you did it or have no recollection, recollection of doing it and have no ability to stop yourself from doing it. And that's a real fear that many people suffer from. Uh, many of those people uh, suffer from mental disorders, um, Many of those people suffer from, uh, you know, some form of trauma. And that is the major reason why these films do so well. Uh, it's something that I really wanted to incorporate into our discussion of, of, of these two topics, because I feel like you can't really separate exorcism and demonic possession from the film industry anymore, uh, because that's really the only place we're really going to see it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's something that uh, has been practiced for a very long time, but it's also something that's made a tremendous impact on our culture. Uh, you know, there are so much, there's so much, there's so much literature. There are so many films that revolve around uh, demonic possession. I mean, there are an entire television series dedicated to them. It's important we understand why they make, why we're so, why they're so successful. Why, what is it about them that grips us? And it is that relation. Because uh, we, as people, relate to the idea that we don't want to lose control. We don't want to lose power over ourselves. Um, now I'm going to go ahead and uh, wrap up here, guys. Let me give you guys some source material to go ahead and look at. So that you guys can take a look at some literature. And feel free to go look at these films. Uh, this is not me, you know, personally endorsing all all these films. But if you're interested uh, in looking at films, um, and you, you might find yourself looking at these films in a little bit, uh, in in a bit of a different light. Uh, now, of course. You know, the films, of course, are going to, you know, they're going to be for, really good for entertainment value. Uh, Gabriel Amorth's An Exorcist Tells a Story. Uh, it's published in 1999. Um, oh, a minute uh, You might look at M. Scott Peck's Glimpses of the Devil, a Psychiatrist's Personal Accounts of Possession, Exorcism, and Redemption. Uh, this Frederick M. Smith, The Self-Possessed Deity, Spirit and Spirit Possession in South Asian Literature and Civilization uh, with the Columbia University Press. Um, William, William Tretherwan's uh, Exorcism and Psychiatric uh, Viewpoint uh, journal from the Journal of Medical Ethics. Um, 
the the devil within possession and exorcism uh, in the Christian West, and uh, that's by Brian Lavac. Something to take a look at there. So there's some there's some good 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 start for you guys. Uh, film wise, if you're just looking for you know films that do a good job maybe of highlighting the anxieties that we can feel uh, from from these from these uh, situations. If you're just looking at uh, or you're just looking for uh, good horror films uh, in general that deal with uh, exorcism. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and I, I would go ahead and recommend The Conjuring. It, it was not uh, it's not a particularly bad film. Uh, you know, take a look at uh, the possession and uh, even uh, the film The Unborn from 2009 uh, does a fairly good job of really highlighting a, a, a highlight of using demonic possession to highlight a very real anxiety. I guess uh, is one of the major things. Uh, that we can we can take away from today is that exorcism and demonic possession can can in fact uh, despite the fact that it can it can be problematic in diagnosing uh, medical medical problems it, it can it can force a stigma onto people who have medical or mental disorders uh, and it can can be a misdiagnosis of people who suffer from these things I think it's also important to note that these films that uh, we talked about actually don't do a very bad job of portraying a very tense situation of portraying uh, the, the fear that people can feel from mental disorders. Uh, and if we look at it from a different, pers- different perspective, these films actually can highlight very real anxieties that exist uh, for people on a daily basis. Uh, and they can use demonic possession to do that on a very real level. Uh, so films such as The Unborn, for example, do a very good job of, of highlighting a, a very tense uh, situation in a person, a very tense and tumultuous time in a person's life, but using demonic possession to do that. Uh, so there is an entertainment value to it, but there's also um, a chance to be a little bit more introspective when we look at the film. So uh, I wanted to create sort of a balance here, exorcisms, with the concept of exorcisms. We want to be very careful with the concept of demonic possession because we don't want to uh, stigmatize people who are suffering from very real problems, who are struggling from, w- with with very real, uh, who have very real struggles in their life, and should seek medical attention, should seek help uh, for those problems. Uh, you know, if you have these, if you have issues uh, like, you know, if you suffer from, you know, a multiple per- personality disorder, or you suffer from uh, a mental illness of that nature, uh, don't be discouraged uh, by you know, don't think that, that the entire world around you is going to demonize you. You should come forward and, and get the help you need, get the, get the treatments you need, uh, and you shouldn't be afraid to do those things. And I think uh, that's one of the things that I wanted to highlight in this uh, is that we, we need to be careful uh, diagnosing people with things such as demonic possession. We need to be careful, quote, you know, you know I, I really don't want to uh, you know, throw a pun out there, but you know, I will, uh, you know, we've got to be careful not to demonize people, you know, not every, you know, people are not all evil. Uh, some people just have, <clears throat> have their own struggles and we, we need to make sure that we're not creating a culture where people are too afraid to confront their problems and deal with them in the way that they should deal with them. And on the flip side of that, 
I think that we can see that these films, not only from an entertainment standpoint, can be very uh, interesting and can be very fulfilling, but they also uh, can do a very good job of highlighting a very real tension that exists, uh, that can exist for a person, and they can use the concept of demonic possession in some of these films uh, to really tap into the audience, uh, not only because it creates a relatable uh, feel between the character and the people watching the film, but also because of the problems that that person's struggling with. Uh, if we look at it uh, from the standpoint of movies such as The Conjuring, the very real anxiety that exists between a parent and their child and the very real anxieties that can exist when we have fractures within our family, when we have uh, uh, maybe not the best relationship with those around us and, and the consequences of that. So uh, that's all I've got for you guys today. Um, hopefully I'm going to get a call in eventually from a person uh, that doesn't want to ask, uh, you know, and, you know, that actually approaches our, our show with some, uh, with some class. So I do apologize guys for the call in we had today. Uh, you know, why people take time out of the day to you know, come on the show and, and embarrass themselves. I'll never know, but uh, that's all I've got for you guys today. Tune in next week. We're going to have a really good time then. I will, of course, announce uh, it on all my social media outlets. Thanks for sticking with me. This has been the Bareback Facts with Dallas. I'm your host, and we'll see you all next time. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.